Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everyone else in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Hello, and welcome to Operation Silver Screen. So normally, our show and our mission is centralized on Bright and I, you know, catching up and debriefing on must-see films. Films that we haven't seen, but we're taking the time to see now because they've been stacked up on our case files. However... We do have some additional tasking that comes with this assignment. So this is one of our bonus objectives. This is our second bonus objective that we had. And the goal of the bonus objectives is to watch and debrief sequels and remakes of classic and must-see films. Not only will we review these movies, but also analyze it from the perspective of its predecessors. So join us as we conduct a deep dive into these current films. Speaking of which, so the bonus objective for this week is... Oh, oh, hey guys, one second. Hello? What's your favorite scary movie? (laughs) Caitlin? Caitlin, are you all right? Well, I guess you'll be right back. Anyway, let me go ahead and introduce our objective of the week. So this passing Friday, January 14th, 2022, it had the release of Scream, not Scream 5. Now, they're too serious for numbers nowadays. Okay, just Scream. And once again, we travel back to Woodsboro, and would you believe it, Ghostface is out there killing again. In this recall, the killer appears to be targeting those related to past characters in a way to lure back the original cast. But can this live up to the original while providing some new scares and kills? Well, let's just find out. And during this first portion of the episode, this first half, it's going to be spoiler-free, yes. Everybody is welcome to come and join us as we talk about the predecessors of this film, whether or not Caitlin and I are excited if she comes back, our review for this film, and then we'll go ahead and get into our spoiler discussion. (sighs) Sorry about that, guys. (sighs) Sorry, someone was coming after me. He had had a knife. (sighs) It's okay. I think I'm all right. Uh, Let's just just get back to the podcast. Uh, So what are we talking about? Uh, We're talking about Scream. Oh, Scream. Okay, I like this one. Do Do you like this one? Like, Do you like Scream or do you like Scream? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Do you like Scream 1996 or Scream 2022? Ah, well, let's start with uh, our backgrounds with the Scream franchise before we we get into the new one. So for me personally, I I think I first watched the the first original Scream with Bryant, actually. Actually, I think we watched the movie Mirafad and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep during it because it was late. But then after, after that time, I went back and I watched it again. And then I watched it again, and I've watched it again, and again after that. Um, and I watched it again this week. So, yeah, I like the original Scream. I- I've seen it quite a few times. Uh, also, in preparation uh, for this, I rewatched the second film. Uh, I watched the second film years ago, back when I first watched the original. I think I went into the second one. But I did rewatch that again this week. And I've also watched the Scream MTV series, which is not really connected to the others, but it's not a bad show. I, I enjoyed it enough. But I've never seen Scream 3 or Scream 4. Actually, I'm not sure if I've seen Scream 3. I didn't have time to rewatch it for our podcast today. But I honestly, if I did watch it, I, I don't remember it. And, and based on the reviews and uh, reception to it, that might not be a bad thing. I know I've never seen the fourth one. What about you, Brian? Yes, so I'm not sure the first time I watched it is when we watched it together. Quotation, since you had fallen asleep. But the first one is a film that I've seen many times. And because both of us have seen it, we're probably never going to have the chance to 
do a discussion on our show, but if I was to give it a rating, this is another S-tier movie for me. I absolutely love Scream 1996. And the sequel, too, is good. It's a good continuation of the story. Three and four I had never seen before. It's something that, you know, if I hear a sequel's bad, I'm not going to go out and watch it. All right. If I especially didn't like the movies before, however, in this case, I did like the movies before, I'm not going to watch the sequels. I don't need any type of closure or continuation in my life. I'm cool leaving things where they are, moving on. Especially since Scream, you know, I hold a little bit more dear to my heart because it is one of my favorite horror movies, even though I know we've been in this debate before that it's not a real horror movie, in which case, you know, I finally sat down and made a list for favorite straight horror and favorite horror with subgenres included. But I've seen the first and second one so many times that I didn't need to go and rewatch them. I actually saw the first one not too long ago in theaters when it was replaying. Uh, great theater experience as well. However, in preparation of the show and to show you guys how really dedicated I am, more than Caitlin, I actually <laughs> watched the third and fourth film. And yeah, the third one, the third one's bad. It's not a good movie. Actually, before I go more into it, the reason I watched the third and fourth one is because I wanted to actually sit down before seeing this new one and understand what makes Scream work and what makes it fail in its in its sequels. Because the second one is a good movie. And the third and fourth have, at least critically, an audience has not been uh, seen in a positive light. So the third one, it, I did get some good laughs out of it, and it did have some good kills. All right, and that one was also directed by Wes Craven. However, the writing is so flawed in it, and it's so forced with some of the plot points that they try to put in, especially the modular voice, which now Ghostface can literally make his voice sound like anybody else, and they make that such a huge plot device. It's ridiculous. You know, fortunately, it did teach me something about the Scream series. It taught me that, man, the writing is really what makes this work. It's not just Wes Craven. Uh, it's Kevin Williamson, really, that's almost the true creator of this film's success. And he's what was missing from the third film. And you can feel that a lot. Uh, but he returns with the fourth one. And the fourth one does have a tighter script. And I saw that the fourth one also was critically panned. An audience did not like that movie. However, I thought it was a solid film. I mean, it didn't really do anything new, but I thought it had a tighter script with Kevin Williamson back, who I didn't know until after watching the film. I also really liked that movie's killer's motive, the reveal of the killer, probably more than the rest, excluding than the actual original. Uh, I think this movie was given more flack back in this day because it was another movie that was trying to be uh, rebooted, which I actually did some more research and found out that, yeah, that was actually something that was happening a lot. And I wonder if society is now more open to nostalgic films and we'll talk about because this film this one in 2022 is getting received more positively but the fourth one it came out in 2011 uh around that time as well you had the evil dead remake which came out in 2013 but that just shows you where hollywood's mind was uh you have halloween by rob zombie in 2007 you had nightmare on elm street 2010 and you have friday the 13th 2009 so Hollywood was really trying to force a lot of these properties to come back. Scream kind of became what it was making fun of. But I think the fourth one, I don't really see too much wrong with it other than it just not being as great as the original. Other than that, everything's really there for you. I think the thing that held me back from watching the fourth one was the cast. I think that with Hayden Panettiere and Emma Roberts, it's, it's very well-known teen drama 
cast. I feel like they were in everything around that time. So for me, just the casting itself felt felt a little bit cheesy, a little bit gimmicky for me, like a normal teen horror, but not necessarily something that was going to subvert the genre or anything like that. Yeah, I think so as well, because the original screen did have a cast that some people were known, but not that many. Actually, your most known character is the first kill. You know, it's Drew Barrymore. That's what sets up that movie and it subverts a lot of expectations. But the the cast of Scream 4, yeah, it kind of had like that team vibe, but I mean, this one does too. And honestly, the cast is what I like more in this one than the third one. Uh, the third one was a much older cast and they were, I don't know, they just, they had nothing to them. At least in the fourth one, they did have personality to them. And I actually like the two actresses in there. You know, they were actually giving somewhat of a new performance, especially uh, Hayden Campernell's her last name. She was great. P- Panettiere. I do like Hayden Panettiere, but I think that's from Until Dawn, the video game. So she's been in a couple horror horror things. So what about this movie? Were you excited for this film? At I all? was really excited. You know, looking at the early promotions for it with Jenny Ortega's character kind of filling in for that Drew Barrymore titular scene, that really interested me. I mean, it seemed like it, it was really trying to pay homage to the original, and I like Jenny Ortega as an actress, so it, it that excited me. I think the early promotions were exciting, but... You know, this is the age where, once again, we're seeing sequels and reboots and requels for everything. So you kind of have to come to it a little wary. What is... So I've seen a couple people say that now. Jenna Ortega is something that they were interested in seeing. However, I looked at her IMDb. I'm not recognizing her in anything. And we're the same age. So we grew up watching the same shows and things. Where where is she from that's making her so popular? she's had a lot of smaller roles in things i know my first time seeing her was from jane the virgin she played a younger character of the the main character jane so that was the first time i've seen her but i've seen her in other things here and there smaller roles but it was exciting seeing her especially exciting seeing you know a latina actress you know playing that kind of iconic role you know i was excited for her yeah, I was also excited. I saw, gosh, I'm blanking on the actress name. She was recently in the Yellow Jackets TV show too. So I, I think she's been in, in a couple horror things as well, horror media. That actress is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Uh, she kind of plays like the, the horror expert in this role. She was also on The Leftovers, which I know you watched as Evangeline. She was kind of a mysterious character there. Yes, actually I watched both of those shows, sort of. I watch Yellow Jackets. I'm taking a pause right now. I'm not sure where where we stand. It's a complicated relationship. But what was not so complicated is my excitement for this film. I was not excited at all for this film. <laughs> uh, I just think there's not too much for this franchise to do anymore. Like, it came in, it made its point, but where else do you go? I knew that it was going to have its own trappings, which it has to bring back the original cast. It has to follow its same... It not only has to follow horror movie rules, but it has to follow its own rules that it made. So that's something that was holding me back. And after watching 3 and 4, it made it more apparent that there's just not too much for this film. And there's still a lot of good meta horror movies out there. So it's not like even like I'm craving the genre. I would rather see another meta horror film than see 
the original try to be done again and again. I always feel that if you want to look at some more, maybe not entirely meta, but definitely a commentary on the slasher genre. I mean, I guess, I, I, yeah, never mind. I will say it is it is meta. Fear Street was one that came out recently. You know, it came in three parts, and the first part definitely was a commentary on the slasher genre. You get into kind of other things as it goes on. First movie was more of that scream kind of error slasher. Uh, the second one was camping teen slasher, and the third one was more of your elevated horror, I guess you can say, like the witch. So yeah, so if you want more meta horror, I, I mean, I would recommend Fear Street, and of course there's several other things out there. So actually, I want to use this time, because you said meta horror. I just so happen to have made a list. I actually made three lists for this show. <laughs> I, did some, I did some serious research. If I had the time, I was actually going to go back and watch some movies, but I did not. So I already mentioned, you know, the, the reboots and recalls that they were trying to do. But for, for Meta Horror 2, it's not like there's a lack of them. It's not like other people are making not making commentary of it. You have movies like Cabin in the Woods. Wes Craven did his own A New Nightmare, which I really like for A Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's almost like an Inception level type of meta uh you have tucker and dale versus evil you have one that's literally called final girl where they actually go into a campy horror movie love that one yeah behind the mask of leslie vernon is probably the most meta it's the one where they're it's a documentary crew that's following a serial killer that wants to be the next like jason Voorhees or the next michael myers and then get out in a way i think uh jordan peele has actually gone on to say that he was inspired by Scream, or at least, you know, he he gives credit to Scream for Get Out. So what did you actually think about this movie, though? Scream, 2022. You know, I kind of have conflicted feelings on it because I enjoyed it, but I don't necessarily know that it added anything that wasn't already added by Scream 2. You know, it's it's another film that is aware of itself. It's aware of itself as a sequel or requel, as they call it in the film. So you see a lot of those same kind of satirical kind of looks to it. But, you know, we got that already. I feel like we already had that commentary. And maybe after seeing The Matrix so recently that also started into that old, you know, let's try to do a commentary on requels and how this is all just a cash cow and all of that stuff. But it doesn't actually really go anywhere too deep with that. So I feel like this kind of did the same thing for me. And even worse, like, I just feel like if this is what we're going to go to with upcoming sequels and whatnot, you know, we've already seen two movies just in the past couple months that have done this. I really don't want this to be the new thing, the new trend. And I, I guess that kind of made me a little bit afraid of that. But I think the, the acting was decent in some parts. I do think Jenny Ortega did a really good job. It was fun. There were some fun kills. Uh, so I'm kind of conflicted. What about you, Brian? Yeah, so you mentioned not wanting this to become the new thing. I think this is already something that's been in place when movies call out themselves, but then they go ahead and do nothing new. It's like they try to give them a free pass because they're being self-aware. But it's kind of like that crappy friend that says, yes, I know I'm a horrible person, and then continues to do the same crap. You know, mm -hmm. kind of like BoJack Horseman for a <laughs> yep. while. Yeah, I mean... I'm kind of with you, though. I was conflicted on some things because I think this is a solid film, but I think it does have some shortcomings. The first thing is, is my fear, uh, which is this movie is trapped in its own makings. It's trapped not only within the rules of horror, but within the rules of Scream. 
and Ghostface down right to the you had the beginning phone call scene, which at this point is getting ridiculous because too many people have landlines. Granted, she has a cell phone, but there's also a landline that's ringing. And there was another landline in this film. I give you one pass for a landline for every 10 people. That's it. You don't get one landline for every five people. No. However, I was glad to hear Roger Jackson back as the voice. I mean, his voice is great as Ghostface. So it's always great to have him back uh, instead of him try, uh, somebody replacing him, which was one worry I had. But everything from you expect from a screen movie is here. You're going to get meta. You're going to get your stabbings and you're going to get your huge reveal. Now, this meta is focused around requels, which is something we're seeing more of. I thought Matrix was going to try to be that, but from what I'm reading now, not so much. And it doesn't really follow the requel thing aside from a scene or two. But I think that's kind of a problem with a lot of the requels. And I keep saying requels. I mean, requels as in kind of like a reboot and a sequel at the same time and sort of a remake as well. Like they're trying to bring everybody back so that they could kick off from a new point. I think the biggest one was Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, it's probably the biggest requel recently. But again, aside from like a scene or two, this doesn't really do anything new. Uh, they make mention to a lot of movies, but it feels like they're just naming movies to have a quota. It doesn't really play any relevancy because, again, they already mentioned the rules. They're not even introducing new rules. They're just bringing up different properties with different rules that don't apply in the situation. You know, like somebody who's kind of ran out of things to talk about. How did you feel about the meta in this movie? I agree. I feel like it didn't really go anywhere with it. And I think at one point they started to talk about what I said before, elevated horror. And I thought they were going to go into that a little bit more, but then it just kind of dropped it off. And I feel like it, they started to have conversations and then it went nowhere. Or, oh, this is a trope that always happens. So if we shouldn't do this trope, then they do it anyways. <laughs> So, exactly. I don't know. I feel like it just did it, you know, they were making a point to be meta, but it didn't seem purposeful to me. It didn't have the same, you know, when the original Scream, the meta, like, they weren't, you know, they are making fun of, you know, Halloween being a big one at Friday the 13th, these, these big horror powerhouses. There wasn't really commentary like that, I don't think, and, and kind of subvert this tropes that were in those movies before but now that it's being meta for itself they're not subverting anything they're just keeping the same conversation no i agree and it's i mean it's kind of hard for them to be you know to bring up things that are new because they themselves aren't new so it's not like you can make fun of a lot of the current things that we're seeing because you can't even make this movie similar to that like if you're going to do a meta if you're going to do meta horror movies you have elevated horror and you have the supernatural right now are two big things. And supernatural, they can't do with Ghostface except for making him an actual ghost, which they sort of try to imply in number three. And then with the elevated hard, there is something I'm going to bring up during spoilers that I thought, okay, this is the direction they're going to go in because they keep bringing up elevated horror, but that elevated horror doesn't go anywhere. As the horror in this movie, the kills are plentiful. And I think these may have been the best in the franchise because they are the most grounded and the makeup is done very well with that. That's something I'm always a sucker for, for something when and it's down to earth when it's not just totally ridiculous. Like, it's not like just a complete bloodbath, like Johnny Depp in Nightmare of Elm Street. But for some reason, they also felt the need to put in constant jump scares, which became annoying super quick. Uh, they even try to make a joke out of it by having like the constant jump scare that you'll see, like somebody's behind the corner or behind the door when it closes. And there's this whole scene that does that. But the joke's not that funny. And it goes on for quite some time. 
I don't think this movie even needs the jump scares. And then again, comparing it to the original, they did the jump scares a couple times, but they made fun of it in that way and they made it comedic. This movie, again, it's being self-aware, but it's doing the same thing that it's making fun of. What did you what did you think about the actual the killings in this movie? And not the horror element, actually. Um, like I said, I think there are some good kills. They seem definitely more gruesome than well, they are were more gruesome than the the first two films. Um, I think just because of the effects and what we're able to do in today's age with twenty twenty two. Um, so they did feel a lot more gruesome. And uh, there was one in particular. I I don't know if well, I'll wait for the spoiler section. I guess, but I, I'm remembering the most. But they were fun. They were gruesome. They weren't, not all of them were memorable, I would say. Uh, and some of them were a little, you know, expected. I mean, you know what's going to happen. You know what's coming. Um, so they didn't really, you know, grab your attention. They didn't really surprise you. But they were pretty gruesome and they were fun to watch, frankly. And I'll say the third thing that goes with these movies, they almost have to follow. But at the same time, it's usually, it's the moment that everybody's looking forward to. Or at least I'm always looking forward to, which is, the reveal. It's not even so much like the who done it. It's more about the what's going to happen once they're revealed and the motivation that they have. I'm not going to talk about the reveal too much, so don't worry about the spoilers. But I can say that this one didn't live up for me. Uh, not because the reveal itself, but it's because they fall too deep in the nostalgia. And knowing what I know from the predecessors, I'm not going to say which one that it was pulled from. I kind of checked out because I was like, oh, I know what is going to happen from here. And it's not like a cool, like, oh, I know what's going to happen. No, it's like, okay, you guys are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's still a bloody third act that pays off. But again, it just falls into its own track. Yeah, I agree. The reveal itself wasn't, it was a little disappointing. And I won't really say too much more than that. Although, to be fair, watching Scream 2, that reveal was kind of disappointing as well. Yeah, Scream 2 kind of comes out of almost nowhere, which is why I'm saying the reveal is not... This isn't like a mystery whodunit. You know, yeah, you can go back and kind of see some of the clues, but it's not one of those movies where it's really trying to have you follow along as a detective. I don't think. Scream 3 was the one that was most shoehorned in there. That one was complete left field, didn't make any sense. Scream 4, like I said, was actually pretty cool, and the motive made a lot of sense. But another thing for not just Scream, but for all horror movies... One thing that's good to have that people take for granted is a good central cast. Yeah, we can watch people get killed all day. It's easy to find a movie where people get killed all day. But you can't just have a bloodbath for two hours. I mean, you can, but it's you're going to get numb to it pretty quick. So you need something to fill up that space. And the people who are going to be filling up that space are the characters. And you have to have a good cast for that. Which here, they present a new young faces, similar to what they did with four. I think these are some of these guys are more recognizable and it is another group of likable teens and i did actually like these teens it wasn't forced or anything like that uh you don't get too much time with them but i think you get enough though there could have been more time with them we already mentioned a few of the actors and actresses which we've seen before uh some more than others but i would say none of them really stood out but again none of them fell flat or became annoying which was nice 
main breakout here is the new protagonist played by Melissa Barrera, who holds this movie pretty well, I think. Uh, she's a majority of this film and, and does well. Uh, you may have seen her recently in In the Heights. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually did really like her character. I think she did a, a good job at the role that she had. Also, her uh, boyfriend in the film is played by Jack Quaid, who is known for the boys um, recently. I, I think he did a decent job of what he was given, but maybe I'm just biased because I, I, I don't know. I enjoy him as a character in The Boys. Because <laughs> he kind of just plays that that kind of goofy guy. There's usually more to him, but like on a surface level, he's just kind of a dweeb. <laughs> and you don't really like him, but you also kind of like him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he is just, he's tall and goofy, gentle giant looking. Yeah, I, mean, I see what you're saying. Like, he's not quite a Paul Dano where you just want to punch him or anything, but like he's just kind of, you know. Why do, why do you want to punch gangly. Paul Dano? Kind of Weasley. Everyone wants to punch Paul Dano. Dano. <laughs> Alright, calm down, Batman. Not me. I'm just talking about in every film. Paul Dano's gonna punch the face. But I don't think Jack Quaid's like that. But he is kind of like, I don't want to say he's full-on Weasel. Like, Paul Dano, he's a Weasel. But Jack Quaid's like, Weasel-esque. <laughs> Weasel-esque. I like But it. like, more dweeby. But, hey, it's not a screen movie without bringing back that old trio. The well, old gang. Gotta bring them all back. Uh, and I gotta say, with the old trio, I don't hate to see them. For one, I love to see Officer Dewey. I love I Dewey. I think Officer Dewey, Officer Dewey is the true heart and central of this series, more than anybody else realizes. I think that's maybe even more so in the sequels. And of course, with him comes Sidney Prescott and Glay, uh, Gail Weathers, played by Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. So once again, Dewey comes out of retirement to face off against Ghostface, which I can never be mad at. The only problem is, is that when you have a focus on the old and the new, like when everybody kind of has, you know, they're, they're bringing their own past, you don't get too much focus. You, you start to split that focus and it can kind of prevent certain people from standing out. I think some of the new cast gets kind of put in there as cannon fodder, and they could have been given a lot more if we didn't have to bring back this entire trio. Honestly, you could have left it just at Dewey. That was it. Maybe bring Sydney back, like, close to the final act, maybe. But that's the issue that I had. I don't know if you felt the same way, if it was balanced, if it was one-sided. We kind of had this discussion already for The Matrix Resurrections. There's the same thing. Like, you don't have time to develop all of the characters because you want to make sure you get those big old names back into the story. You do kind of lose something. I agree, but it could have been okay with just Dewey. And, and maybe I'll go into a little bit more spoilers when we, we get to it with my uh, thoughts on Sydney's appearance in the film. Gail Weathers, her, I feel like her character didn't really do anything for me in this film, uh, particularly. She was there to kind of show you a little bit of the back and forth of her and Dewey, you know, where their relationship was, you know, because that was always uh, something that was brought up in the Scream franchise. But past that, I mean, she has some moments um, that I enjoy. And I guess I'll get into a little bit more when we get into the spoilers about how I fully felt about their cameos. But I agree that it was almost a little bit too much too cheesy at most parts <laughs> yeah they do kind of set it up a bit and i agree yeah gail weathers didn't need to be in this film honestly you could have probably added something to dewey's character by her i don't know just being like completely left his life or ended up dying something like that her character was the most unnecessary one but again 
you got to bring it back for the fans. Also, I feel like it's like the Star Wars treatment. Like if you bring back two legacy characters that were married at some point, they're going to be diverse, divorced by the time the requel comes along. Something happened to the relationship. They're not together anymore. You got to build that tension back again. And it just kind of felt overdone to me. Well, Caitlin, I don't know what you're expecting. Are, are you trying to imply that there's a way that we could write more interesting ways for characters to age? Because the only thing I understand is that, yeah, when two older people grow up, they get divorced off screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, you know, at some point I'm going to hit, you know, 45 and I'll be off my first divorce, you know, it'll be fine. And then I'll, we'll come back to this podcast and we'll give it a break for a little bit. We'll come back and, and share our divorce stories. Yeah, pull you out of retirement. <laughs> Start hearing like some beer bottles shuffling in the background. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the other thing. Like if you're an alcoholic or you're divorced or both. <laughs> mo- mo- most of the time is both, except Usually for Star both. Wars. Even though we we know Han Solo is drinking on the side. Oh yeah, absolutely. Got his best drinking buddy yeah. there, the Wookiee. You know he he knocks him back that Wookiee. Oh yeah, that's why he can understand him because he's yeah. not speaking Wookiee. He's just speaking drunk. <laughs> Slurred. And he knows that forever. all too well. Surprise, the Wookiee was drunk the whole entire series. <laughs> yeah, and R2-D2 is just on speed. Everything oh, makes sense. But I think this is this is still a solid horror film. It's probably going to satisfy your craven, but it's not going to, and that wasn't a pun for Wes Craven, <laughs> but it's not going to deliver more than that. And also with, you know, actually I mentioned that Wes Craven with him missing. Did you feel that at all with this film? Uh, I think the direction was still pretty solid. One thing I really liked about this one is that I think they made Ghostface seem even more threatening. There were a lot of shots when he was kind of hunched over, and just the way the camera and the music was just made him look more of a threat than the others. I would agree with that. I, I would say that I do think Wes Craven's directing was out, and I think it's because I was reading a review earlier that mentioned how if Wes Craven had directed this, he would have probably brought more out of the actors than what we saw. Because I feel like, like you said, a lot of these, these actors, especially the younger, they just kind of felt a little bit two-dimensional in parts. Um, and they felt, you know, just like repeats of the normal Scream cast. Like, like the expert is always the same. And that's even in Scream to TV series, too. There's always the expert. And there's always... You know, the couple, there's always the doofus kind of creepy guy in the corner. But you know, so I feel like I agreed that like the original Scream, even though this is our first time seeing those tropes, like each actor in the original Scream brought something of their own. You know, there was nuance, there was good performances, even for something that was a comedy. And so I, I do agree that maybe we would have gotten a little bit more from these characters if Wes had been directing. So, Caitlin, I'm going to say something that's not towards you. It's towards whoever wrote that article that you read. All right, and I'm going to call Film Snob right off the bat. Oh, well, you know, it's not the genius Wes Craven. You know, you can obviously tell that he's missing. No, you you haven't seen Screen 3 and 4. There is a character throughout it that doesn't even fit the movie. And you have other characters that just come in and just go. They just deliver a line. I really feel like Wes Craven was tied down for three. I think with his buddy Kevin Williamson back, or I'm guessing they're buddies, in Scream 4, the the characters felt better. But again, it's nothing really more than this film. I, I think, again, it's just it's that imbalance. You don't have that time to spend with the other characters. But I can tell you right now, whoever wrote that article, they're trying to fill their mind with 
oh, nothing can be better than the great. No, I don't think so. I It didn't come off that way at all. But I mean, you just have no, to look at the, the original Scream and the Friday the 13th. Just looking at those, you know, there are characters that I felt were well acted. I don't Friday necessarily think... Sorry, not Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street. I was getting my... <sighs> my... You know how many bad emails we're going to get now? I know. I, I was thinking, you know, all those classic horrors, all the same. No, just kidding. I actually am not a big fan of Friday the 13th, but I do like Nightmare on Elm Street. Same. But with, like, with Johnny Depp's character, like, even as a side character, I mean, you see acting. I feel like a lot of these teenagers, especially the expert, there was just not a lot of acting that was good. <laughs> Jenny Ortega aside, and the new lead... Sam, she was she was decent. I wouldn't say she was the best actress that there was, but like looking at the original scheme with Sydney, Sydney, I think Neve Campbell, I think she was a good actress in that original scream. And then looking at this one, she's not. <laughs> you know, so good acting a lot of times just is a direct effect of. I mean, another testament I have to that is the character Judy Hicks. I thought was a better character this time around, and she was somebody that was introduced in Scream Four, and she was another animated character. Oh, I hated her. This No, no, I still didn't like her in this, but she was so much better compared to what she was in Scream 4. Then she must have been god-awful in Scream 4, because I thought she was awful in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think they, everybody does a good performance, but again, I, think, I don't think anybody has the chance to really stand out. Unless, you know, it's their time to, to die. I don't know. Like, I'm, the, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I feel like... My opinion, especially recently, I think after watching that, so I'm going to, I'm going to sidebar a little bit. I didn't think Kristen Stewart was a good actress for a long time. And then I watched Personal Shopper recently and my opinion changed. And there's a lot of actors that are like, but I thought were bad actors. And then they get like that good movie and you realize what a difference good directing makes for acting. Um, I mean, and she's in Spencer too. Obviously she's a good actress. But when she was in movies with bad directors, she seemed like a bad actress. So, you know, if you have a movie that has poor performances, which aside from the ones I mentioned, I think it does have some really poor performances. So I don't know. You have to blame the director a little bit for that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. The director does have a huge portion to play when it comes to acting. He can really, he or she can really bring out the acting capabilities of those in front of the camera. I think this pair of directors, though, Matt Bentinelli Open and Tyler Gillette, uh, who did Ready or Not. I mean, I think, well, they did Ready or Not. They did Southbound. They did VHS. I think for Ready or Not, I didn't like Ready Which or VHS? Not. <laughs> uh, the first which one. Which VHS short? But which one in VHS? The first one. Ooh, that's, that's, that's a great question. While I'm looking that up, <laughs> I will say for Ready or Not, I did not like that movie, but like that the one. characters the characters were really good. I think the characters were well directed. I think that was the the good thing for me in that movie was the character performances. It was more of the story that I didn't care for. VHS they did Radio Silence. I don't remember which one that was. Uh, I did like Southbound though. That's an underrated horror film. I think I tried to watch that one. I couldn't get into it. I will agree with you, though, that I do think Ghostface, you know, he did seem more threatening, but I don't know if I needed that. I think it was a nice change. I mean, I'm up for change at this point. I mean, honestly, the only thing you can do for Ghostface at this point is making him an actual ghost. So making him more threatening is something I liked. 
And it's not like they made him, it's not like they boosted him up or gave him an upgrade. It's just the way they played with the camera and things. Yeah, and and I'm going to say, but I did disagree with you when you talked about that one kind of tracking that kind of played on the jump scare kind of trope. I did kind of like that scene. I enjoyed it for what it was because I don't know. It it gave me a chuckle. Maybe because I've seen Scream 3 and 4 as well recently. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I saw Scream 3 Thursday, 4, Friday slash Saturday morning. Then I saw this movie Saturday and then kind of making that joke again and again. And then to see the same joke, but have it longer. I just, I wasn't feeling it. No, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it is a good fake out. It's just something I've seen too many times. And it's not like this movie doesn't do the fake outs more so. I mean, they have the whole person runs a stop sign, has to break on the vehicle while a car comes, you know, super loud across the screen because that's how cars work. You know, it just, it constantly has that. If it was a one and done, I would have been cool with it. But again, it's something it just does over and over. All right, everyone. Before we go ahead and unmask Ghostface himself, herself, themselves, no self. I want to go ahead and give you a warning that we're going to be getting into spoilers here. Okay. Uh, so with the spoiler discussion, we are going to go more in depth into the movie. Uh, we're also going to discuss whether this movie was actually needed. Was it warranted? Was it unwanted? Uh, we're going to emphasize, you know, we're going to emphasize what this movie did well in the perspective of its, its franchise and what it could have done better. Because it sounds like right now between Caitlin and I, the movie did have some goods and some bad. But if you haven't seen the movie, pause this episode right now. Go get your movie tickets. Okay, Go see the movie and then come back on the ride home. Plug us up in the vehicle or on the bike, whatever, however you're getting from one place to the other. I don't judge. And yeah, then join us now because we are going to be getting into, I would say that for this movie, there are some huge spoilers that could ruin the film, such as, again, the big reveal, which is such a huge point for this franchise. So, all right, you better be gone. I'm, I'm serious. We're getting into it. Okay. Side note, though, if you are going to go see this film, please be careful. COVID's going a little bit crazy here with the Omnicron. So go see a matinee. Don't go, you know, Saturday night, crowded theater. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting for theaters to bring back their limited capacity. But until then, just just be smart. Wear your masks in a theater. Try to keep some space between you and the other patrons if you can. You brought this up, the CGI. As it was shown in the trailer, a lot of the cast... Uh, is related to people in the previous movies. At first, I thought it was just going to be all the serial killers, but no, it's the serial killers, it's the victims, it's the sheriffs. Everybody's family is being brought back in these movies, which is usually something I don't like in a movie, but it's not like they're trying to make this, oh, it's a big surprise, and this is like, you know, everything the movie was pointing towards. So I did like it in this. I think it was an interesting point. However, I don't think it really gave much more to the film, especially uh, the main character, Melissa Barreras's character, who actually happens to be the love child of Billy Loomis and her mother. Uh, her mother and Billy Loomis at some time during high school. I'm not sure what year of high school he was in. And honestly, don't think about it too much. 
I'm about to start talking about it. I'm about to start getting myself confused when you really look at it. But Billy Loomis did have a teenage affair with another woman. Uh, of course, you know, Billy Loomis did die. So she went on to give birth to the child, saying that it belonged to another another man, her current husband. And this turns out to be the the parents of our main protagonist. And it takes it a step further. We go ahead, as we're following her, we find out that she's been having hallucinations of Billy Loomis at the age she was in high school, of course. And I'm not sure if it's a de-aged or a pure CGI skeet already, but we do get a couple scenes where he does come back, you know, and we see him in the reflection, in her reflection. And again, I think this is where, I thought this is where they were going to bring up the points of elevated horror. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of elevated horror, it's a lot of psychological horror. It's, hey, were they the killer the whole time? Is this all in their mind? They make you question a lot of it. This movie doesn't make you really question it. It just brings it up. And I don't really think it has relevancy in this. It kind of shows like she has a darker side in her. But it's not anything that makes you really think like, oh, she's definitely the killer. It doesn't sway you like elevated horror really does. Again, if this movie had more time for a character, maybe we could start to see that. But for me, I don't think this was very necessary. I mean, it was cool. But it was another one of those cool, but could have been cooler. And as far as the CGI, it looked decent until there was one shot where they looked a little too closely. And you can see the the CGI or makeup or whatever they're doing. You can see that a little too much. So, I believe it was a de-age Skeet Ulrich. I don't think it was entirely a CGI. I think it was de-aged. But it, you know, whenever you do this, you kind of go into that, the uncanny valley, I guess it's called. It didn't look bad. I think it looked a lot better than other CGI characters I've seen in films. And I think it helps too, but a lot of the scenes, they kind of keep them kind of blurred, kind of into dark. So you don't have a chance to really look too closely all the time. Kind of always has his hair in his face anyways. But it wasn't awful as far as CGI goes. It wasn't as bad as some of the ones that Star Wars has done. But it is what it is. I mean, you you know it's not real. You know it's not entirely real. But it wasn't bad. It was better than other ones I've seen, I think. Yeah, I, I do think it was better than other ones. Is this what you were talking about when you said that this movie seemed like it was going to go the elevated horror route? Yes. Yeah, I was about to get into that. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was. And you know, part of... What I like about Scream bringing back, you know, everyone's kind of related is that it almost feels a ripoff of Halloween, the Halloween series, because that's another film where, you know, you kind of see this generational, you know, sequence of events, this ties to characters together. I I think the newer Halloweens don't have this quite as much. I think there might have been a retcon in there, if I'm remembering correctly, but I might not, I might be wrong. I'll have to rewatch that. You know, for me... Especially the ending scene, you do kind of see this darker side to Sam. And so, you know, I almost kind of wanted it to go like the Jamie Lloyd from Halloween. I kind of wanted to go that route where you're not expecting, but something kind of switches and she ends up being not necessarily the ghost face, but I wanted to kind of see something kind of switch in her consciousness where she kind of goes off on this killing spree. Yeah, I would like to either see that or see some scenes that make you question what she was actually doing. Whether you know she was doing some questionable 
actions. She was she because her mind was switching. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she doesn't have a good reason or a good alibi because she wasn't in the right state of mind. That could have been cool, and that would have been the elevated horror that this movie was pointing towards. And again, it's the movie doesn't make a huge thing out of it, but they say it more than once, which is starts to get you thinking: Is this something more? Yeah, and I think that we haven't really seen too much meta when it comes to elevated horror either, except for the last Fear Street, maybe when it kind of makes fun of, not makes fun of, but references the witch in a way. But other than that, you know, we really haven't seen meta of elevated horror. So I think it's something that I would be interested in seeing, but maybe it didn't. I don't know that it would fully fit in a Scream franchise, but I wish they had just done a little bit more. Yeah, honestly... Again, this is where the movie, if it had the right focus, if it wasn't focused so much on its past, it could have been that. You could have, I don't know, done something new where they reveal who the killer is or who you think the killer is. Uh, and then you start to follow that person. And then you start to see that, well, they're they're out of their mind. Maybe they didn't actually do the killings. Maybe it was this person or maybe they didn't do it at all. There's a lot of things that you can do with elevated horror, but the thing with elevated horror that you also have to do is you have to have a good character and you have to have a lot of time with that character because if you don't, then you start to get cheap plot points, which this movie doesn't do, but you need to be able to focus on that character to start making the audience question. But we don't get the time to do that because we're still too busy doing what Scream needs to do. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of what they need to do, so... I got Ghostface over here, backed up into a corner with a butcher knife, about to take the mask off. We ready to, to tell them who it is? Big who done it? Before we get into this, I do want to get into this. I'm excited. Just hold off a second ago. Hopefully it won't escape. But I want to talk a little bit more about bringing back the old characters, those kind of the legacy characters for a second. Because there was a little bit more I wanted to say on that. So, Dewey... I think Dewey was brought in fine. Dewey belonged in this movie, I think, to a degree. You know, so, hmm. The Scream TV series wasn't perfect, but I like that it didn't try to be Scream. It was its own new thing, and I almost feel like I appreciated that a little bit more. I mean, it definitely is an MTV teen drama, and it has thoughts as being that. But it has some good kills, it has some good you know, moments. And I like that it didn't try to be that so hard. But, you know, this definitely is going for, you know, the stereotypical requel. So we brought in these old characters and, like I said, Dewey was alright. We can have Dewey. But there was a scene where he calls Sidney Prescott and he says, do not come back no matter what you hear. And she said, I have no intention of going back. And then she hangs up the phone from wherever she is. She's walking her kids, wherever town she's living in now. And I kind of thought that was going to be it. I thought that was all that we were going to see of Sydney. And I was so happy. I was like, oh, thank goodness. They're not going to bring her in. You know, I'm tired of the Sydney story. I'm glad that it's just going to end here for Sydney, and we'll just keep it with Dewey. But no, she still comes back anyways. And I'm like, why? She should just. She said that she wasn't going to go back no matter what. Why couldn't we just ended it there for Sydney's story? And then you'll have to tell me for Scream 3 and 4, as far as Gail Weathers and Dewey, is it every Scream that Dewey gets stabbed in the back and Gail gets shot in the stomach? Is that just the Scream staple for every single one? Close to it. 
Uh, so at this time, they mentioned in the movie that Dewey has been stabbed nine times. The fourth one, he isn't stabbed, but he is bludgeoned to unconsciousness. Okay. I, I think he may get slashed or something, but slash and stabbing, that's, you, you can walk off a slash in these movies. That's no big deal. But yeah, they always... No, Gail doesn't always get hit. She does get stabbed. She does get stabbed in one of the movies. But I think there's a, and there's a movie where she almost gets attacked. But Dewey ends up shooting the shooting the person. They have a bulletproof vest on, of course. But their relationship is kind of this on and off thing again because in three they're not together anymore, and then they end up getting back together in three. And they're actually almost the main focus in three. They're they're doing a lot. Uh, Sydney Prescott doesn't come back in. Nave Campbell, she doesn't return to the movie or comes into the movie till about fifty minutes when she rejoins. You know, to make the trio complete again. You see her for a couple scenes, but not much. Uh, so it is a large portion focusing on them. And then kind of the fourth one as well. The fourth one, they are married. You know, they're happy and everything. They did get back together. And then again, yeah, they got divorced because why not? Yeah, I just feel like everyone I've seen, Dewey's dies. I'm just going to say he dies because I think he was originally supposed to just be killed off and they brought him back, if I'm remembering correctly. But every sc- Scream 1, Scream 2, this new one, Dewey's just gone. You know, he gets the worst of it. And then you don't see him for the rest of the movie. And then Gail, she always gets shot, gets injured, goes down. And then a couple of minutes later, oh, surprise, I'm actually okay. I'm going to save the day. <laughs> yeah, that's almost similar to the other ones as well. Uh, I would just say that she doesn't get up in the fourth one. And she stays down for quite a bit. No, no, no. She does, she does get back up. Yeah, She's resilient. <laughs> Yeah, they, they're all resilient. Even more so than Ghostface. And Ghostface wears a bulletproof vest. And actually, I'll talk about... Remind me to talk about Gail... No, I got it in my notes. I'll talk about Gail Weather some more as well when we get to, to the reveal. Okay. But yeah, I agree. Ned Campbell didn't need a return for this film. I was kind of glad when she said, I ain't coming back there. I was like, thank you, don't. I'm like, mm-hmm. not because, you know, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to focus on these people. And then Gail Weathers comes back, and that's kind of, that's just there. She doesn't provide anything else. It's not like she solves anything. And that's the thing. She's kind of set up in the third one as the third and fourth one. She says, like, she solved these because she wrote the book on it. But not really. She just happens to be there when the reveal is done. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I don't know. It was cheesy, but I also didn't mind seeing kind of the the Sydney Gale buddy-buddy we're in this together. We're going to end this bad guy together. It was cheesy. I didn't need it. But it, I don't know. If I'm going to have some kind of fan service, I'm like, okay, whatever, girl power. <laughs> so our killer is here. The reveal is that is our true friends, Mickey Madison and Jack Quaid. And everybody's like, gasp, who are they? Well, Amber being the friend of the first victim, not the first victim who died, but the first victim in the movie of Jenna Ortega, I believe her character's name was Tara. And then Jack Quaid being the love interest of our main protagonist. You you see how they brought it back to the franchise? Yeah, and Tara, by the way, is the sister of Sam, our main protagonist. Half-sister, we find out, because she's not the daughter of Billy Loomis. She's the daughter of the other guy that we tried, the mother tried to say was both of their fathers but was not true but i will say it did subvert me a little bit with the fact that she lived instead of you know because i thought she was dead but she was done for and then you find out she's just injured so that was a little different i think yeah no i like that 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 was cool that the victim 
you know, who usually will be like strung up in a tree or brutally butchered actually survives because whoever was the ghost face during that time must be a surgeon because they stabbed her like 15 times, but you know, no organs that are vital. And I was just happy to see her back because like I said, I, I do think that they were right to put the promotions on her because I do think she gave a better performance than the rest of the cast. Of the new cast, maybe in general. Yeah. Especially when she was like getting out of her hospital bed and I was hurting for her. She made me believe she was in pain when she was, you know, she was injured, wounded, but she knew Ghostface was coming. So she was getting her ass out of that bed. Yeah, I believe the directors probably pushed her down that abandoned hospital stairs before setting her back in the bed and yelling action. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a struggle when she was moving. Speaking of which, quick side note, what is up with the hospitals in these movies? I don't know. Scream 4 kind of set it up. Scream 4, there was an announcement. It was like, all non-emergency personnel report downstairs or wherever. So that's like, okay, that's why the hospital is empty. But in this one, it was empty, empty for no reason. Well, they said that they were giving her a private floor. But of course, you know, watching this in 2022, I'm like, they don't have a private floor. That hospital is booked (laughs) and busy. (laughs) It It has to be. I guess. I, but just, you know, being in COVID era, you know, it, it felt so, it took me out, you know, that I couldn't, it took me out of that realm of disbelief. They probably just packed them in more rooms. I'm, not, I'm like, what's going to happen if you put more COVID people in the same spot? They're, they're not going to get COVID again. I don't know. I'm not a real doctor. Don't take my advice. But I'm just saying that they had they hadn't have anyone in the hospital so they could afford to give her an entire floor all to herself and no nurses or anything. Just, you know. I mean, good for that town, I guess. That no one they just have no sick, they don't have any elderly, they don't have anyone injured that they can afford to just give an entire floor of their hospital to this one little girl. I mean, good for them. Good for that town, I guess. <laughs> They're getting murdered. <laughs> But they don't have any injured. <laughs> Just one little girl. This small town is weird. I don't understand it because it seems a lot larger than it actually is. And also the hospital is quite large because in the fourth one, their parking garage is 10 floors. <laughs> I remember that. So I don't know. It, it's like they got more hospital than they have people in the town. Maybe it's like a central hub or something. I don't know. This is the real movie that I want to see. The Grey's Anatomy of Woodsboro. <laughs> yes, definitely. And all those malpractices. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's not like it's the first horror movie that we've seen do that, and I guess it could be seen as a a riff on that on other horror movies. No, 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 not, not, not letting know. it pass. <laughs> but going back to these killers, uh, the reason, like I said, it's not so much the reveal; it's the it's their motivation, or at least that's what I really look forward to. And with the reveal of this, I did. Looking back at it, too, I think it, it makes sense why these two characters, like, when you look back at it, you can go, oh, okay, yeah, that was suspicious. Like, I did think it was suspicious when they were both kind of going back and forth with this banter, accusing each other. I'm like, you guys just met, like, a couple hours ago. How are you this comfortable with saying, no, you're the killer? No, you're the killer. Mm-hmm. So I think that was kind of cool. Uh, but the reason that they are the killers is because they're enraged diehard fans, which I thought was pretty cool for a requel, you know? having these diehard fans of the franchise. But again, this is something where they just, just just kind of throw a couple lines. Like, I did get a couple laughs, but it was nothing more than that for me. I wasn't any more invested. Especially, again, like I was saying, 
we're back in the same kitchen of the same house, of course, as the first movie. I was like, I know how this plays out. And it's not any more like, oh, I wonder how they're going to get out of this. or Because also the, the killers at this time were making dumb decisions. It didn't make sense. They were outnumbered. You know, four to two. Yeah, they thought one girl was tied up. They thought. And then why not kill Gail Weathers? Because they're sitting over there. There's two people. One is, I guess, like a 17-year-old. The other one, yeah, he's a full-grown male. And the rest are like three injured adults. And they're not even like morally injured. They're just minorly injured. Why not take out one of them? Why not just shoot Gail right then and there? I get it. You got a monologue, but do you need a, a three-wide audience for that? Uh, so like I said, this isn't, this isn't one of my favorite re reveals of the series. I mean, it's better than three. It may be on the same level as two. But like I said, four I actually like the most next to the first one. Yeah, I always did think it was going to be the sister for a little bit in the movie when I was watching it. That, oh, the sister, Jenny Ortega's character, was mad that her sister never shared, but she was a daughter of Billy Loomis. She blames her for her parents breaking up. So the motivation was there. And so I, it did cross my mind that it was going to be the sister for a minute until Jack Quaid's character was like, you know, how do we know that your sister's not the character? the killer and as soon as he said that i'm like oh no it's you <laughs> you're you're the killer i see now never mind <laughs> it was before that that i was suspecting him when they were in the elevator he gave a weird look to dewey running back to uh shoot Ghostface in the head which of course didn't work but when i saw that and then yeah he kind of made some other suspicious movement so i was like i think it is i think it is him uh amber kind of came out of nowhere but it made sense is her name amber why was i thinking her name was emma that was Amber. Was there an Emma in this film? <laughs> Amber, that's how forgettable know. it was. Like, she just, I don't know. Her character was annoying to me. I mean, Stu was annoying in the first film, but, I mean, in a very dramatic kind of way. I mean, you can't beat Matthew Lillard. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I can't, I can't compare anybody to Stu because I can't compare them to Matthew Lillard. Yeah. It just, there's... It's not a fair competition at that point. Like, that's just... It, it, it's too great of a character. It's too great of a, of a performance that I'm glad no one has really even tried to be him. But I feel like this with this Amber girl, I'm like, okay, this is an actress who was just reciting lines that she was given and she's meant to be this this character. I never felt like she was a real character. I thought she was just an actress playing whatever that they gave her. Yeah, I thought they could have done more with her. And again... If we had more time to focus on these characters, but now we got a screen's got a screen. Yeah, that just it just did not make sense to me that ending. And I mean, even so much they were going to do the same exact thing that they did in the first film. So at that, that's the point of the film where I just kind of I don't even know if I really checked out, but it just it kind of dipped for me. Like the whole third act was going well. I really liked when the one twin actually looked behind her. That that was mm -hmm. that was actually funny to finally see a horror character look behind them like oh crap too late though after the after randy on the tv's yelling at her yeah i mean she got she took a shoulder stab that's better with her surviving and i don't mean to make this you know i don't mean to make this a race thing but i think there was a little bit of a i think something was made intentionally i think there was a race commentary in there so both of the twins end up surviving and they're biracial twins they're the 
So with the twins, both of the twins, they're two of the characters of color in this film, and they both end up surviving, though they have been attacked. And we find out that the two killers are two of the white characters. And they even make a point in the movie where they're talking about how studios bring out these franchises and they try to do all these different things to it and they try to make it more diversified. So them saying diversity and them being the enraged fans, I think they were kind of trying to make a commentary on these white diehard fans getting mad at diversity in these films. And I found that a little funny. I don't know if that was intentional, but I, I, can, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. And I mean, if if they did do that intentionally, I think that was extremely clever. I think this movie does have some clever points, but again, is held back. This is something... I think the... If I hadn't have watched two, I think the whole fan thing wouldn't bother me so much. But the whole idea of, oh, this is a fan. I'm a fan and I'm going to make the sequel by killing these people and this will be the sequel. Like, we've already seen that with Scream. And I do agree that they missed an opportunity to make some kind of commentary on fandom culture. Uh, because, I mean, horror fans are, I'll say, passionate. <laughs> horror fans are very uh, passionate people, especially when something doesn't go their way. And I'll say that with all fans. Any fan of any of these requels, they are very particular about what they want. And if they don't get it, they're going to be very upset. And I think yeah, you could definitely. have had an opportunity to really, you know, have that. I think that's another opportunity for that elevated horror, but you could kind of go more into, you know, what that kind of culture means. But, you know, we lost that. It didn't really go that deep into it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about while we have the spoilers up before we, you know, get into our next portion? I will say I did like the scene, you know, even though we didn't get the whole... Sam switching to be the villain in this. I did like the scene where she was killing Jack Quaid's character. I thought that was it was fun to watch because <laughs> she went that off. Was funny. <laughs> that was really fun. Like, what about my ending? Yeah. Oh, I do remember now. Um, sorry, you mentioned the uh the filming and trying to make a new sequel. That was actually the plot of the the fourth film. The fourth film, they were, they believed that the killer was videotaping this so that they could basically reboot, reboot the franchise of what's known in this movie as Stad. I mean, that was also a beat in the second one, to a degree. Maybe not to the whole degree, but it was brought up a couple times in that movie as well. Another thing I want to talk about before we kind of give it our reading, what do you think, you know, now that we're in the spoiler section, we can talk about, you know, the kills a little bit more. And uh, what was iconic kills to us and what was not so iconic. Um, and I want to talk about a little bit. Was her Sheriff Judy and her yes. son? Yes. Her death scene, I hated. I thought she was annoying. We all saw that was coming. Or at least I saw that was coming. And so I hated that death scene. But her sons, I actually... I don't know that the way it went down was memorial, mem memorable, but the whole knife through the face thing and the effects that went there, it was kind of gruesome. I mean, you could tell it was CGI a little bit, but it was still pretty gruesome. Was that CGI? I thought that was practical. Was it? I thought it was CGI. It looked, it looked, it looked practical to me. Huh, if not, it's okay. some great CGI. But oh, no, no. I think it... Never mind. You're right. It was it was practical. I think I'm mixing up a couple different scenes. But that did look gruesome. However they did it. I think maybe it was a mixture of both. 
Yeah, no, I agree. That one was pretty gruesome, especially it's so slow. You know, you see a lot of people get stabbed in the neck, but again, with this movie being grounded, you know, it's kind of that almost that imperfection. It wasn't in the middle of his neck or anything. Like it was right on the side. It was still a, it was still a, uh, what's the word? It was still a mortal wound, but it was taking his time. And then also, he was wondering, you know, the whole time if he was actually going to be able to reach and get the taser, even though at this point he's already done for. And I think with this character, I cared for as well. I did feel bad about that death. That's one of the characters I was like, oh man, like he did. Yeah, I did too. It was one of the more innocent deaths in this one. And I glad we didn't make him the expert because I was expecting that because it's always the like nerdy white boy that's the expert. Yeah, no, this was just a this was just a good kid. One of the questions I said that I was going to ask you during the spoiler discussion is, you know, talk about what works and what doesn't work. But I think we talked about that enough through this discussion and through the review. My question actually for you, and maybe we'll integrate this into the future shows. Do you think this should continue? Do you think there's anything to salvage? Do you think that we can continue with this new cast? Or do you think that we're... Ghostface has finally killed it. I have mixed feelings. I think I would like to see Sam's kind of corruption and more of her story and kind of going down that path. But I don't necessarily know that I really fully need it. I would like it, but do I need it? No. Especially if it's not going to be another film that's exactly like this. And also, like, where can you really go with it? That story anyways. In another Scream movie. Because I'm not sure that you can... Unless they went in a completely different direction. Um, you know, I said I enjoyed the Scream TV series for what it was. I think there's room to... I think there's room to continue the franchise, but let Sydney be done. Let that whole story be done. Just do something completely new. Like, that's what I need. <laughs> I'm just I'm just so tired of all these requels. With the legacy characters and not doing anything new. I like this franchise enough that I, I would like to hope that they could maybe one day go somewhere with it. That's not the same old, same old. You know, if this if this is any any premonition of what that could be, then no, just let it end. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I just do not want another Scream movie where it's the same old thing. I agree. And like I was saying with this movie... You know, it calls itself out, but it does the same thing again and again to where I'm I'm going to have to remove myself from this toxic relationship. I'm going to listen to all my friends and understand that there's, there's nothing else for this franchise. I think in this movie, if they were to go ahead and kill Gail Weathers, if they were to be more ruthless with the old cast, because even with Dewey's death and it did feel impactful, they still... It almost feels like they checked the block in that as well to show that, hey, we're being ruthless. But you still didn't take that step further. Yeah, exactly. You still didn't take that step forward. And I think, you know, if they did kind of get rid of the old cast, then yeah, we can go ahead and start with this new cast and maybe go more into the elevated horror that seems to be on the mind of our main protagonist in this one. But I don't, I wouldn't trust the series to do so. And I would like just for cast and crew and everybody who has ideas for this and just to move forward and make another meta horror property. You mentioned the Scream TV series. 
There's another TV series out there that did a great job that reminds me a lot of Scream, which was uh, Scream Queens, which also has Emma Roberts in it, Jamie Lee Curtis, and actually has a great cast in it. I think I tried to get you to watch that one time. That's I'm not a big fan of Emma Roberts or Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy's also hit or miss to me. Well, more miss than hit. <laughs> this series was a hit for me. At least the first season was. Uh, it only has two seasons. The first season worked for me really well. Wasn't Billy Lord in it too? Yeah, yeah, she is. And um, Abigail Preston. I think I watched the first episode. And then um, oh, there's another actor in there I like that I want to see more of. I can't remember his name. But anyway, no, I don't think this movie has anything else. Unless they want to go ahead and accept the script that I came up with. Then, you know, I'm totally for it. Let's hear it. All right. So I'm going to moralize it on this podcast. <laughs> I thought it would be cool if they got real meta like a new Nightmare did, where they actually, the actors played themselves. Because in a new Nightmare, it shows that in this, at least in that movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street is a film that Wes Craven directed, and then Wes Craven himself in the actual cast is getting haunted by Freddy Krueger in the supposed real world, the real world that this sets it up in. That will be getting super meta. If they were to go ahead and they were to bring back a lot of the casting crew of these past films, if, you know, I was thinking, like, if you got them back in, like, a court setting, like, for some reason they all had to return to one setting location, and then somebody starts picking off the quote-unquote, real actors of these movies, I think that would be something really meta and really cool to do. Uh, so producers of this film, Paramount, if you are listening, I got some notes. You know, you got my information. I can get your information. So Stab would be a film within a film? Within a film? <laughs> no, we're taking out Stab. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm tired of Stab. I'm very tired of Stab. Like I said, I haven't watched Three and Thor, and I'm already tired of Stab. Yeah, I like it's not what they funny do with anymore. The what they do at the beginning of Four is funny because the way they started off is that they were watching the whole movie the whole time, and then they step back, and then that's another layer of the movie that they're watching, and then they have to take another step back, and it was someone watching a movie of someone watching a movie, so it kind of had that double layer of meta on it. That was mm, kind of okay. cool, but I mean, if we do something quick like that. And that will probably be the first thing in my movie. It's like, hey, we'll make a quick mention of Stab, and then no one can do it again. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I wouldn't have mind Stab in this new one so much if it wasn't in the other movies. <laughs> if that exactly. makes sense. Like, because I, I rewatched the second Scream after I had watched the new one. I was like, oh crap, I forgot Stab was in this. And yeah, I liked it when I forgot the second one existed. <laughs> What letter grade would you give this? I'm going to go with i uh... I'm actually going to go with the C plus as well. Now, that is a passing grade and for the most part, a bit positive. However, Paramount, if you're still listening, if you're not already on the phone about to call me, no, I don't want another one of these. Again, unless it's my yeah. movie. I'll give Jenny Ortega herself an A, but the movie C plus. I, I, liked, um, I would like to see more from uh, Melissa Barrera. In the Heights, she was all right. In this, she's good. I, I feel like this is another one. I think if the you get the right director on her, or you give her the actually the right story, I think a lot can be pulled from her. 
actually didn't like her character and her story in, in the Heights. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I like her. I like her as an actress. I do think we can see more of her with good, with better material. Alright, guys, so, well, hopefully you've already seen the movie. If not, well, hey, should you go watch it? I think you should still, if you're, this is one of those, if you're interested, you know, by all means, go and, go and watch it. I don't think this is anything to rush out to. I don't think this is anything that needs the theater experience, especially if you're going to be risking it during the nighttime. Uh, Kayla, I don't know if, how you feel. Is this a theater experience? Like, is this warranted? Or can you wait a little bit? You know, it's like I said, with COVID, it's a whole different... Uh, I would say if you could probably wait a little bit. Unless, you know, you have a good theater. I think with a lot of horror movies, you need to have a good theater crowd in there to make help you enjoy it. That's a double-edged sword. Not so much. Not at the level of Scream 2... <laughs> the costumes and everything of that not so much but you know maybe maybe wait and watch it with like a group of friends that would be that's actually my how i would recommend it i think i think watch it with a group of friends i'll say right now go watch screen four and let me know what you think uh, of that movie do you think that the critics were too hard on that film or do you think i'm being too easy on it and you're probably wondering well okay but how do i talk to the to this podcast and I would say, well, one, you're already questioning me, so you're kind of doing it. But no, there's somewhere you can actually get a hold of me directly. Caitlin, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Operation Silver Screen. Uh, once again, Twitter and Facebook, though, that's just OpSilverScreen. You can also find us at our letterboxes now. I didn't know if we wanted to read a letter or not. <laughs> I don't know if we wait until the next episode for that or not. Revealing everything tonight. We're we're revealing our opinions, oh the killers, our letterboxes. Caitlin, where can they find your letterbox? Would you say this is an elevated podcast? Very much so. So my letterbox, if you want to see what I'm currently watching, uh, what I think of those films, I also have uh, a list on there that just kind of notes all the films that we've been watching. On this podcast, my username is Coffee Spoon Kate. Um, I'm also going to be putting a link to these on our social media when the episode drops. Um, so you can also look there. We'll have links there if that's easier for you to find. Yes, and you can find me at the much cooler username Swank Seal. Yes, Swank Seal, all one word, capital S, capital S. And you can see all the movies that I've been watching. Uh, I started this year. So the first movie I watched was orphan starting the year off by starting it off and then also i am going to be posting my review of this film uh in my letterbox and i'm probably just you know for good practice and writing i'm going to start posting all of my reviews because i have opinions and apparently people want to hear them so i'm going to be putting them in my letterbox yeah but just as a note reviews for the films that we're putting on this podcast we won't be reviewing them on letterbox until after the episode has aired so no sneak peeks so if you really want to know, be the first to know what our opinions are, you got to listen to the podcast. Yes, I'll probably wait like a week or two to actually reveal my review on Letterboxd, or I'll just start typing up reviews and then leave a cliffhanger. And then, you know, to sum it all up and then bam, just leave. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so as I said, this is our bonus objective. All right, so make sure to go ahead and take a listen at our core episodes where we do give a 
deep debrief and analyst of must-see films that Caitlin and I, uh, whether it be one of us or both of us, have yet to see. So, till next time, I'm Brent. And I'm Caitlin.